Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither stage nor script, neither bread nor neither money, neither have two coats apiece. Whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. Whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And then he departed, went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they returned, told him all that they had done. And they, he took them and went aside privately in a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. I titled this message this morning, Whosoever Will or Will Not. Taken from verse 5. And whosoever will not receive you. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and the opportunity this hours this morning to look unto thy word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your precious word. Just glorify your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, If I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. So give us ears to hear, hearts to obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, though God has all power, and the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Think about it. The kingdom of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Yet man has the opportunity to determine his own eternal state. To receive the gospel or to reject the saving power of the gospel. So, whosoever will or will not. I want to notice... I have two things, and I have quite a few sub-points, so don't get too excited just because I have two main points. But uh, two things here I want to talk about. First of all, the power of the gospel of the kingdom of God supersedes all other power. Uh, in verses 1 again, it says, Then called he twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the gospel, or to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. Uh, and you know, if you read on through this, he told them not to take anything. Verse three: Take nothing for your journey, neither stage nor script nor bread, neither money, neither having two coats apiece. Whatsoever house you enter into, there abide, and thence depart. Uh, and verse six says, and they departed, went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So. So the, the power of the gospel of kingdom of God supersedes all other powers. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. John 10, 29, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We know Romans 8, 31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Verse 33 again, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious. Romans 9.20 Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed to say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And Job said in Job 9.12 Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say to him, What doest thou? You ever say to your son or have you have your son say to you, what are you doing? Like, you're not doing something right there, you know. What are you doing? That's the obvious. But what, who can say to God, what doest thou? You see, he has all power. And the gospel of the kingdom, as we think about it, God having all power, the gospel of the kingdom has power to deliver from the bondage of Satan. You know, it says there again in verse 2, um, verse 1, he gave them power and authority over all devils. So it is the gospel that gives liberty of conscience, gives liberty over death, sin, grave, and the hell. And hell. Uh, in Luke chapter four, you know, Jesus spoke about this. In Luke chapter four, and of course he was in this passage, he was quoting an Old Testament passage, Luke six or uh, Isaiah sixty-one. But Luke four, verse seventeen. It says, And it was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So he said, I'm here to fulfill. I'm here to set at liberty them that are bruised. I'm here to give liberty to the captives, to set them free. I am the one that has power to do that. And we just celebrate Independence Day. But liberty comes from God. Real liberty comes from God. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 the Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. In other words, he became, he became flesh. He didn't take our blood. He had the blood of God. But he became flesh, Christ did, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. See, the devil has the power of death. And through that, through that death, he holds people in bondage. The passage goes on to say, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, if you're lost in your sin, never been born again, you're still in bondage to the fear of death. Still under the thumb, if you will, of the devil. Some people are fearful, they're afraid to move. Afraid to repent. Afraid to be set free. They may be religious, but lost. Religion is bondage. False religion is bondage. It is the devil's greatest deception is religion. It's false religion. 
You know, Paul, writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So the greatest deception, what Paul's saying is, the greatest deception that the devil uses is, he, he has his, his uh, minions transform themselves as ministers of righteousness, as the apostles of Christ. You know, one of the, I think it was during the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, I remember trying to remember was reading something about this, that the image of Satan in a little red suit with horns and a pitchfork, I think that's when that image came about. That, is, that was one of the greatest deceptions that was ever birthed upon the minds of people, that that's what Satan's like. No, the greatest deception, what Satan really was, was those Catholic priests during the Dark Ages, those Jesuits spewing out their false doctrines, transforming themselves as the ministers of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through, 1 through 6, Paul said, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but my manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, we're not, we're not, we don't have any hidden agenda. We're not, we're not walking dishonesty. We're not walking in craftiness. We're not trying to deceive anybody. We're, 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 Commending ourselves, in other words, asking people to search their own conscience in the sight of God, if this is not the truth. But he said in verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, many have transformed themselves as ministers of righteousness. There are many churches that no longer preach. As Jesus told the disciples here, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They no longer use the authorized version. Instead, they use one copyrighted by some secular publishing company, which is nothing more than a profit for hire. There's Balaam's. It's not Thomas Nelson or Zondervan that's publishing your Bible and your books anymore. It's Harper Collins, Collins owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, which is Fox News. That's who owns Thomas Nelson Publishers now. And Zondervan Books. 
So they have distribution rights, copyright, to the NIV and the New King James Version. By the way, thank God nobody has the copyrights on this. How do you copyright God's Word? You see, they're Balaam's. They're Balaam's. That's what they are. Prophets for hire. Why would these publishing companies, secular publishing companies, want to be in the Bible publishing industry? Because there's money to be made. And they'll publish anything, spiritual, including Buddhists and other religions. They don't care. Promotion of a perverted gospel without repentance, without acknowledging Christ as Lord. You know, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fair, fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Galatians 1, 6 and 7, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ under another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. What was this perversion? We'll go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. That Paul was referring to. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 22. It is, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which tendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So, you know, he uses the, the illustration of Hagar and Sarah. The one was a son, you know, Ishmael was born to a slave girl. Uh, uh, Isaac was born to a free woman. And he said, the law will lead you to bondage. That's Hagar and Ishmael. But the gospel will lead you to liberty, which is Christ, which is Isaac. You see, there was a mixing. This perversion that Paul talked about was a mixing of law and grace. Many do this today and don't even realize it. They want to be saved, but they want to live on their terms. Is that not what the Jews were attempting to do? Oh, we want to accept the Lord Jesus as Savior, but we want to continue with our temple worship and our rituals and the manner of life that we've always lived. We don't want to give that up. And, and if you don't do that, well, then, then you really can't be saved. So we want to have Jesus. We want to have Jesus, but we want to have this too. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. We're justified without the works of the law. See, a lot of people want to. They want to want to have Jesus, but they want to continue to just their own kind of lifestyle, and forget about the rest of the Bible. Paul said again, Galatians five one: Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You can't save yourself, or help save yourself. So. We see 
the gospel of the kingdom delivers from the bondage of Satan. But secondly, consider the power of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of God has power to improve men's lives. Notice verses 1 and 2, and then also verse 6. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 6 says, And they departed went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, the Bible does not teach that healing is in the atonement. You know, Charismatic Pentecostals teach, some of them will teach, many of them, almost all of them teach, that there's healing in the atonement. In other words, when you, part of salvation is to heal you of your physical infirmities. The Bible doesn't teach that. And, of course, they use um, Isaiah 53 as one of their passages that, that go, you know, um, that they use for that in passages like this. But, but the, my question is then, why did Paul have an infirmity in the flesh if healing's in the atonement? Now, these, there were sign gifts to authenticate the apostolic teaching until the completion of the scriptures. That we do know. Hebrews chapter, go to Hebrews chapter 2 for a minute. Hebrews 2. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect no so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them? Heard him. So he's talking about the apostles here. We are the ones that heard him. The apostles heard him. God also bearing them, again talking about the apostles, bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So we do know from the book of Acts that there were sign gifts given in the early church. During the time of the apostles. And these sign gifts were part of the, you might say, the infancy or the childhood of this age. That go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul tells us this. 1 Corinthians 13. And verse uh, 8. says, Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So the words fail, cease, and vanish away have the, uh, mean that they're going to stop soon. They're going to end quickly. They're not going to continue. That's the idea. They're not going to continue. Uh, so speaking in tongues is not going to continue. Isn't it amazing that these people that teach speaking in tongues when they go to a foreign field as missionaries, they have to learn a language? If they can speak in tongues, why do they need to learn a language? Why do they have to go to language school? Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is part shall be done away. Now, I, I believe that's referring to the Bible. It was in parts then. It's complete now. But verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away, put away childish things. 
And so I believe what Paul's saying there is, look, in the early part of this age, in the infancy of the, the age of the churches, there were things that, are, that happened that are not going to continue. And gifts of tongues and healings, prophecies, are not going to continue. You know, in the book of Acts, there was a prophet by the name of Agabus who prophesied there's going to be a drought for so many years. And then he prophesied that they're going to bind this man at Jerusalem. And, of course, he's referring to Paul. Now, he is speaking of something that was yet future. He wasn't speaking something that was written. He got that from God. Now, we only preach what is written. Some of it is yet future, in that sense it's prophecy, but we only preach what is written. But you see here, what we see here is these sign gifts were temporary and were part of the infancy of this age. But the matter remains that, that the new lifestyles as a result of Christ as Lord of our lives improves our lives. Think about it. The Thessalonians and the Corinthian men were no longer involved in idolatrous prostitution of the temple gods of the day. Which, by the way, would promote those things, practices promoted disease and criminal activity, as they do today. In fact, even worse then, because they didn't have the medical knowledge we have today. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, talks about striving to obtain a corruptible crown, and he says, I keep my body in subjection. In other words, I keep my body under control. I don't allow it to take charge. You know, and, and, and the, again, the idea is there, uh, uh, keep it in submission and not be yielded to its passions and its desires, which again would, would destroy the body. See, false religion blinds and keeps people enchained to corruption. You know, India is a country that's steeped in false religion. Hinduism is about 80% of the population. 14% is Muslim, Islam now. Uh, and their religion keeps, think about it, their religion keeps them in poverty and hunger. Cows roam freely. Why? Because they're sacred. They're worshipped. Back in 2015, a man was lynched for consuming meat. India's first prime minister said, quote, in a thousand years, the religions of India have never motivated anyone to plow a field, build a house, drain a swamp, or dam a stream. But let us not deny the church is due. It has helped lift people's burdens in every part of the world. The motivating force has been the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unquote. Roman Catholicism ruled Europe and the world during the Dark Ages. Laymen were forbidden to read the Bible, and it still maintains strong control in the minds of its followers in many parts of the world. Fear, superstition. One former Catholic priest called the papacy the, quote, the fountain and source of all superstitions, unquote. Think of it. Prayers for the dead. Purgatory. 
sale of indulgences, which is nothing more than for a price, you can have your sins forgiven. That's all it is. That's why Martin Luther became so disgusted and nailed his 95 Theses to the wall because of the, I forget what his name was, was running around selling indulgences for anything. And they blind people and keep them in chains, in bondage to darkness. Roman Bible times was permeated with emperor worship. We have an example of that in Acts chapter 12. They shouted that, that, that Herod was, the, was a god and not a, not a king. And of course God smote him and he was eaten with worms. And Rome, self-destruction, it rotted from within, morally and politically corrupt. You could buy your office. You see, wherever the gospel goes, it improves men's lives. Look at the Old Testament example, example illustrations, for example. Leviticus 18, 25. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Talking about the Canaanites. Chapter 18, verse 27. For all these abominations have the men of land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. In Exodus 15, 26. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which I is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statute, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Deuteronomy 7.15 And the Lord will take away all from thee all sickness, and put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Apologetics Press had an interesting article on, called Scientific Foreknowledge and Medical Acumen of the Bible by a guy by the name of Cal Butt. And uh, he talks about the medical practices of ancient Egypt. Uh, and I won't disgust you by reading them, but just to give you several illustrations of what, and these, of course, are Old Testament examples of what following simple, practical, God-given sanitary activity will do. Um, in 1847, an obstetrician named uh, Semmelweis was director of a hospital ward in Vienna, Austria. Many pregnant women checked into this ward, but 18% of them never checked out. One out of every six that received treatment in Semmelweis' ward died of labor fever. And um, uh, Semmel, uh, I'm not going to read it all but for take the time, but Semmelweis tried everything to curb the carnage. He turned all the women on their sides in hopes that the death rate would drop, but no results. He thought maybe the bell that the priest rang late in the evening scared the women. So he made the priest enter silently, yet without any drop in the death rates. As he contemplated his dilemma, he watched young medical students perform their routine tasks. Each day the students would perform autopsies on the dead mothers. They would rinse their hands in a bowl of bloody water and wipe them off on a common shared tile. And then immediately began to eternal examinations of still living women. Now we are horrified at that today. 
but that was the common practice. In fact, in Egypt, one of the things in Egypt they did was they would introduce pus into a sick person to try to promote healing. That's really what they were doing here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so he saw this, and then it Samuelized ordered everyone in his ward to wash his hands, his or her hands, thoroughly in a chlorine solution after every examination. In three months, the death rate fell from 18 to 1%. Now, had Semmelweis made a, a groundbreaking discovery, or is it possible that he simply rediscovered what had been known in some circles for many years? Almost 3,300 years before Semmelweis lived, Moses had written, He that touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with water on the third day, and on the seventh day he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and the seventh, he is not clean. Well, what was Moses doing? What did God give Moses? How to cleanse your hands. In fact, if you think about this water of purification uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it says, in one such directive was found in Numbers 19, where the Israelites were instructed to prepare the water of purification that was to be used to wash any person who had touched a dead body. At first glance, the water of purification sounds like a hodgepodge of superstitious potion making that included the ashes of a red heifer, hyssop, cedar wood, and scarlet. But this formula was the farthest thing from a symbolic potion intended to ward off evil spirits. On the contrary, the recipe for water purification stands today as a wonderful example of the Bible's brilliance, since the recipe is nothing less than a procedure to produce an antibacterial soap. Think about it. When you run water through ashes, what do you get? Lie. Lie. And, of course, the other things as well, cedar, hyssop, are all purifying uh, things that purify. Uh, so, so you know, you know, there is a reason America has been the most industrialized nation in the world, and there is a reason why we have the most advanced medical treatments in the world. It is the influence of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that improves the lives of people. You know, Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Go to John 8, 12. John 8, 12. I never thought about this in this light before. But you know, we, we say we need to read things in context, right? Okay, John 8, 12, Jesus said, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now it's interesting, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them. So what happened just prior to his making this statement? Well, it's the woman brought to him caught in adultery. And notice what he says unto her 
when, verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thy, those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither I, do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, he revealed her sin, and he healed her, if you will, enabled her to overcome a destructive lifestyle. See, I'm the light of the world. I'm that one that can bring light to darkness. She was bound in darkness, enslaved to her sinful habits. He revealed it. He exposed it and also gave her power to overcome it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul talks about this some in 1 Corinthians 6, this, this thought. Verses 9 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers, notice this statement, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body, body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that the which is joined, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Fleek fornication, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if you read that list of sins, which of those does not bring destruction into your life? Which of those is not habit forming? None of them are. None of them. Oh, they are. They are. But but Paul said. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you. See, sin will destroy your life, your physical life. It will destroy you. The power of the gospel will improve it. Give you a quality of life. So, we see the power of the gospel over devils, but also to improve lives. But I'm going to notice the second thing. Though God's power supersedes all power, yet man has been given the opportunity of choice to receive or to reject it. In Luke chapter 
9 again, verses 4 and 5. Whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. You know, there are two responses to the gospel. Only two. Receive it or not receive it. Indecision is a choice. Some people will say, well, I'll just put it off. That's choice. That is a choice. It's a choice of rejection. So though there are those who receive it and those who reject it. In Matthew 10, verses 11 through 13, this is a parallel passage here. Uh, it says, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. When you come into a house, salute it. If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. The word worthy there is deserving or do reward or meet. Uh, so, so these are ones be the ones that received the gospel. What is involved in receiving the gospel? Well, two things, basically. Number one, you need to repent. You must repent. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, there, 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 was, there were some that were trying to justify themselves and thought they were better than others. And in Luke 13, Jesus said there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that ye were sinners? They were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, there are some people that think, well, you know, bad things happen to bad people. Uh, therefore, I'm, I must be okay because bad things aren't happening to me. I'm just a good person, you know. No, you need to repent. Repentance is a change of mind. It includes a change of the will. And, of course, to repent, you have to have some understanding of who God is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The holiness of God, the law of God, the consequences of sin, the person of Christ, that He is the God-man, a willingness to acknowledge and accept the consequences of our sin and turn from it. And of course, the second thing involved in, 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 in receiving Christ is faith or believing. It's a word that denotes action, a choosing. Receiving him as Lord and Savior. You know, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him. The word receive there means to take or to get hold of. In Acts 16.31, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The word believe there means to entrust, to commit to, or give oneself up to. See, receiving Christ is not asking God to forgive you. It is not praying. It is believing. It is receiving. It is taking hold of or giving oneself up to. You know, in John chapter 4, now I have time to read it all, but you know the account of the Samaritan woman. And Jesus talked with her, and he brings her to, you know, he. he he, 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 he asked for, you know, where's your husband? And, of course, revealing that she was living with a, with a man and she'd already had five husbands. 
So he brings her to understand her sin. And then he reveals to her who God is. God is the Spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, God's a spirit, and God is all is truth. He's all knowing. And Christ is the revelation of God. You know, she said, you know, she said, well, I know when Messiah's coming, he said that I speak unto the am he. You see, he's the revelation of God to men. He's the God man. God manifests in the flesh. And then the disciples come up, come back, and she just leaves him. She never prayed. She never asked for forgiveness. She didn't do anything. She just left. But she also left her water pot. That which was meant to satisfy her flesh, she left. A water pot. But she confessed him openly to everyone she met. She went into the town and told him, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? But she never prayed. She never asked for forgiveness. She just took hold of. She just committed herself to him. So that's what it means to receive him as Lord and Savior. Then there's, secondly, those who refuse or reject. Again, in Luke 9, verse 5, it says, And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. You know, again, indecision is a choice. It is a rejection of God who loves you and died for you. You know, many times it's religious people who in pride reject the gospel. Religious people. They're trusting in their prayers. Luke 18.10 talks about the publican, or the Pharisee and the publican. And the Pharisee praised himself that he prayed and fasted twice in a week, and he did all these things. He's religious. He was a good guy. The rich young ruler. Kept the law perfectly, but went away sorrowful. Some like Herod seek him for hope of gain or just to solve their problems. Look, look at chapter, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said of some that Jesus risen from the dead. And of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Did he really? Did he really want to see him? What was his purpose in wanting to see him? Well, he did get to finally meet him in Luke chapter 23. And notice the, what, what he does. Luke 23 and verse 8, it says, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him of many words, 
but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him, and Herod, Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and set him again to Pilate. All he was interested in was to see some miracle. But you know, it's a terrible thing to reject the love of God. The sacrifice of Christ. In Matthew 10, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, Who shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet? Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that for that city. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah are given as illustrations of hellfire. Genesis 19 tells us in 24 and 25 that the Lord reigned upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. Genesis 19, 28, Abraham looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Jude 1, seven. even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And the Lord says, Whosoever will not receive you, they'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Think of it. Sodom had no churches. We have churches everywhere. Sodom had no Bibles. We have millions of Bibles. Solomon had no preachers. We have thousands. Sodom had no history of God's judgment to warn them. And we have volumes. You see... It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God, and God has all power. You have Revelation 22. It says, And I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates in the city. For without our dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, and adulterers, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify unto you of these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hear us say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will. Let him take the water of life freely. You see, it's whosoever will or will not. Which will it be for you? Someone has said, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. For someday your soul will be asking, what will he do with me? Whosoever will. Or will not. Will you? Will you repent? Or have you repented? And put your faith and trust 
and Lord Jesus Christ. He has power. Not only over all devils, not only to prove men's lie, but he has power over death, hell, and the grave. And he has power to cast into hell those that reject him. So whosoever will, or will not.